Welcome to the latest episode of the Construction Insiders podcast, where our host, Jessica Bush, talks with industry experts about new trends, best practices, and how to successfully deliver construction projects in today's market. Whatever your role on a project, we think you'll find these discussions interesting and worth your time. Okay, we are continuing our focus on education and construction. Uh, We are at the CASH conference, still talking with people, seeing what's going on in the industry. And um, today we have the opportunity to sit down with Michael Kraus, who is the assistant superintendent with Anaheim Elementary School District. Uh, They are in beautiful Anaheim, Disneyland, all those wonderful um, family activities. But yes, people live there. There are schools. There's a lot going on. They have uh, more than 16,000 students um, across 23 schools. And so I'd just like to say welcome, Michael, and thanks for taking the time to sit down with us today. Great. Thank you, Jessica, for having me. So um, not to uh, dance around too much. Let's just get this going, because I know I'm sure Michael's hungry. We, we broke him out at lunch here. So um, when we are talking school and public school construction, uh, what are some of these tools that you use to initially create that project? Where, where are you starting in your, in your process? So one of the first things that we have to do is have a concept of what we want to do. And what is the vision of the board? What is the vision of the superintendent and of the community? So for instance, if we want to build a new school or we want to look at renovating a school, what is the overall concept and how will that impact the stakeholders in the community, how it will impact our students at the end of the day? And so we want to take that all into account uh, in the planning, in the pre-planning process. What is the initial concept? And then once we work with all of our stakeholders, we start creating a design built around the input and feedback that we receive throughout the planning process in order to see what that initially could look like. Okay, and so um, those those tools and those planning tools, um, we hear a lot kind of in, in our position in the industry about a long-range facility master plan. Um, is that where you start with the process or in terms of tools? How do you so kick it the long-range facility master plan? Most districts have one, and it's a long-range, uh, usually five years or ten years longer, and it looks at where the district currently is and where we want to be in the way of facilities. Whether it's uh, building new facilities, whether we think that we may not need as many facilities, and so we start there, and it's usually uh, in collaboration with an architect that works with the district to help create and then revise the long-range plan over time. And so we want to refer back to that and see, do we need it updated? So for instance, our district is currently updating our facility master plan to see where we are at, to capture construction that's happened in the last five years, and then to see where we are going to be in the next five to 10 years. And so that is a, a very important planning tool, not only for the district, but also for other people that are in the process, such as uh, people in the construction industry. So um, this master plan, how does it play into the decision-making process? Um, is it is it the guide? Is it something that you really try to get in the weeds with? How do you use it? What do you in terms of a tool? Absolutely, great question. So, if you get an opportunity to look at a school district's facilities master plan, it's a very intensive, uh, informative uh, document that talks about each school site, 
each, uh, uh, and when we think about districts, it's not only school sites, but it's also like their maintenance and operation building. It's also their other offices besides school, uh, school buildings, but it takes a look at all those buildings, the shape that they are in currently, uh, the needs of those buildings, what needs to be done, whether it's the infrastructure, the underground utilities, whether it's the playgrounds outside, what are the, what are the current uh, needs of the school district as far as facilities, but also 10 years from now, what are the needs? And so it talks about uh, enrollment. So we have a demographer that works with the district. And what they do is a demographer projects where your enrollment's going to be. How many students are a district, will a district have in, in five years, two years, 10 years? And we have to base our facilities decisions based on that. And we look at the long range plan and say, do we have enough classroom space? Because that's number one consideration if we are a growing district. If we're a declining district, then we also have to take a look at that and perhaps predict what site may not be usable in the future because of the declining enrollment and what can we do with that uh, site. We don't want to have empty facilities and so the long range plan also helps us determine uh, best uses for each site. So talking about the demographer and kind of outside consultants, when do you bring in your internal facilities, maintenance operations staff, and how do they play a part in this, this, this planning process and getting the projects you know, off the ground? That's a great question. Every step of the way, we involve our maintenance uh, team and our facilities team, but we also involve our technology team because there are technology needs for students, such as the uh, uh, data drops and the uh, internet and the infrastructure there. We also bring in our uh, human resources team members in there because of staffing needs that we potentially could have in the future. We bring in our ed services team as well from the very beginning. So we have these uh, giant stakeholder meetings that involve our internal departments to start talking about well, what if, if we do this, then what? What are the needs that we may have? Because if you don't do that in the very beginning, um, it's better to get things done first and then have, then have to go back and redo them because you didn't bring in the team members in the beginning. So we really bring them in in the beginning. We work with the demographer to determine what those needs are. Because for instance, they can tell us if we're declining enrollment, then when we buy textbooks as a district for ed services, we may not need to buy as many because we are declining enrollment. And so those are the kind of decisions that we have to uh, talk about, think about, and not just look at what's good for the next year, but also five years out, 10 years out. And the demographer does those projections uh, for 10 years, and they help a district really see what's going on. They capture new development in Anaheim. So if there's new development going up, multifamily housing, single family housing, they take that into account. And that helps us as a district as well plan uh, for future uses of our facilities. So now talking about, you know, the future uses and, and running of the facilities, um, I'm assuming the maintenance and operations staff, you know, they're involved throughout the planning process because they are the ones that are now going to have to kind of run with it once it's up. Do they, are, are they involved at the level of like reviewing plans, getting involved in that type of, or where, how do you bring those types of individuals in here to make sure you have, you know, that bulletproof tight plan? Great question. So we have a facilities team, a stellar facilities team that works with the architects to take the initial concept and put it on paper. And then what we do is we actually share those with our maintenance and operations team. So we bring in the uh, directors of MNO, we bring in the supervisor, custodial supervisor, the uh, maintenance supervisors. We also bring uh, the rank and file people that are out in the field, such as the plumbers, the electricians, and they review the individual sections that uh, would apply to them at the end of the day, because when the project is done, it is handed over to maintenance and operations. And so we believe that a collaborative effort in the beginning 
helps to mitigate any kind of concerns or any kind of uh, situations where we might need to redo something um, because it wasn't done in the way that the district can maintain it. Because you have to think when maintenance, when you think about maintenance, it's a long-term effort. It's not just a year or two, but maintenance continues on for the life of that facility. And so we want to bring them in in the beginning to look at the plans. They make notes. They have discussions with the architects at the table. And then adjustments are made until the final plans are approved to go forward. So talking about involving people across um, the district and across you know, specialties at the district, initially in the planning, do you also, at what point do you bring in other stakeholders like community members um, that, that might have opinions of the, you know, really understanding the politics that, that you have to be privy to and, and, and know what's expected, what you're gonna run up against, things like, when do you bring in those, those people in the community? So we do it as soon as possible. Uh, one of the ways we are able to do that is at our board meetings to where we present to the board and the community initial concepts. Um, but we also have meetings before then with community. So we call the community together. Uh, for instance, if it's an individual school site, we invite people that are within those school district boundaries of that school. And we have informative community meetings. We receive input from them, feedback on what they see, because they're the ones ultimately that are going to have to live with what goes in their community. And so we don't want to uh, surprise them at the end of the day and say, oh, we're putting this here. And then they say to us, well, you never asked us our opinion on it. Because it needs to serve the community. The community, absolutely. <laughs> and one of the biggest ways, uh, one of the biggest issues we see is, is traffic. And so when we design a project, we want to bring in the community to say, okay, how do you think this will impact your, the traffic, the flow of traffic, uh, your neighborhoods, parking? Are there things um, the district isn't thinking of because they don't live in that exact neighborhood? Absolutely. And so that's where we get that valuable feedback from the community members. And they don't necessarily have to be parents at the school because not everybody that lives within a school boundary is a parent of a child that goes to that school. So we want to hear from everybody in the, in the beginning and we take their feedback. We, we have note takers that document and then we review it with our team and see how can we incorporate uh, the least amount of disruption in the, in the neighborhoods. So you do all your research, all your meetings, you get all the feedback. Um, but at the end of the day, there, there has to be unforeseen conditions, circumstances that pop up. Um, how do you handle that in that planning phase? How do, you, how do you, I mean, can you prepare for it? Well, we, we know what we know and we know what we don't know sometimes, but there's other things that when we initially start doing a construction project, we find out and that's what the word unforeseen conditions come in. So for instance, if we're digging in the ground, and we discover something that nobody knew about because it was there since 1850, then we have to come up with a plan B. But we are always, when, when we build our budgets, we always put in a cushion for a project to have unforeseen conditions uh, mitigated potentially. So there's a, there's a dollar amount in there that we have, but we also uh, are ready to work with the contractor to bring in additional assistance to mitigate an issue if we have it like a, with a city. So for instance, we have a great partnership with the city but sometimes the connections to the city sewer system or the city utilities, we have to work with them because we didn't anticipate some issues that we would find. So we always are prepared to have those conversations. We work with our partners, the architects, uh, the city public works department, um, the neighborhoods, anybody that could be impacted. And we let them know if there's any uh, contingencies that we have to do, we'll let you know as soon as possible so that they're aware as well. I think one of the great things we do is also put out newsletters to inform the community what's going on. Um, so they're up to date when they drive past it. They they know, hey, that's the, they're in this phase. There's but that transparency even at that level. You have to have that transparency, Jessica, because it's so imperative. You don't want people 
coming to the district saying, I never knew about this. And now uh, this monstrosity is coming in and it's, it's uh, I can't even see the sun at my house anymore because it's, uh, you know, shading uh, my house. So those kind of things, we want to make sure we do the, uh, the public community forums, the inputs, but also they can have ideas of what was there. So people that have lived in Anaheim for years might know about something we don't know. Uh, related give to you our a heads school. up. Give us a heads up on, <laughs> on what was there or what, you know, maybe it was an old uh, auto shop that, you know, that they'd worked on autos for years. And so the oils would, in the back and that we're going to discover would, it. <laughs> and we may not know that because there may not be plans. That's one of the things that we find a lot is that things weren't always put down on paper. And so we don't know the history of the property or history of what was there. And so unforeseen when we start doing things or we start opening up walls, we're like, wow, where did that come from? So... <laughs> But we always build in those contingencies. Okay. Um, and so in terms of getting, you know, getting these projects off the ground, let's talk financing, budgets. How, how does that look to you guys? Um, and again, with that, on the finance side, where do you start? <laughs> so we are very appreciative to the community in Anaheim for uh, supporting uh, general obligation bonds. So Anaheim has floated uh, general obligation bonds, which is the number one way school districts fund uh, major projects and facilities. So they, but they, it all starts with stakeholder meetings again, talking about here's the needs. They, they demonstrate in a presentation, the long range facility master plan needs of each site and what needs to be done. And there's a dollar amount assigned to that site. So for instance, you'd have 23 sites and overall there might be a needs of $500 million but in, in construction, but the bonding capacity of the district may only be 200 million. So we have to prioritize which school sites, what projects, and we present that to the community and we say, we'd like to go out for a bond and here's the dollar amount and here's what those, those dollars will fund. And so then it goes to the voters and the voters have been gracious enough in Anaheim to approve uh, Measure G and Measure J bonds for us. And we've been working on several projects uh, in the last several years and continue in the future on renovating schools as well as various other projects that we've done, like single point of entry, uh, making, putting up new fencing at school sites. But the bonds are the number one way. Outside of that, we also can use general fund dollars that the district has through the state. The state funds school districts with money. Um, it's not necessarily geared towards facilities, but sometimes we have to use that to supplement the bond, the bond funds. Um, in the long range, but also districts in general, not necessarily Anaheim, but districts also look at um, doing parcel taxes to where there's a parcel tax put to voters. And then they take that uh, every parcel is assessed a certain value and they pay a dollar amount and then that goes towards facilities, kind of like a bond. There's also certificates of participation where districts take out a loan from a bank and then pay for the savings. A great example is solar. So if a district wants to do solar, I did a project in another district where we did a solar canopy. And the cost savings from saving on electricity paid back the loan from the bank. So that's like a COP. Um, so those there's different mechanisms, financing mechanisms. But in general, the state of California uh, doesn't have a lot of bond dollars or facilities dollars for school districts. So they have to look to their local community to uh, supplement, them. to finance them. And so we're very appreciative, again, on what our community has been able to do. But they've been supportive because we've been transparent in the process. And, and that seems to be like a lot of school districts forget that... If you're not providing information, someone else is creating a narrative. Um, things can be lost in the communication if it's not much going out. Um, and so really being upfront and involving the community, you guys seem to do such a good job at that. It must make it a lot easier to get those bonds passed when they know exactly what you're doing and exactly how you want to spend it. 
Right. And we also, our philosophy is over communicate rather than under communicate because we'd rather put out too much information and, 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 and many avenues. And it's not just mailings. It's on our website. It's telephone calls. It's emails. It's various avenues to advertise what we're doing, how often we're doing it and status of the projects and let them know here's the value you're getting for the tax dollars that you graciously approve for the district. And so, and they see that when the final product. So we love to give tours of the, of the final uh, product. Like mm -hmm. we're doing two new schools right now. I was going to ask what, you know, you must have a lot coming down the pipeline. Yes. <laughs> you guys so, are growing. <laughs> so we have two schools, a total of about a hundred million dollars uh, for those two schools. And so they'll be coming online here uh, in the fall and then in the winter. And so, but we like to showcase well, what they are. And so we, we invite the public to come see them. We invite the public to come to our board meetings to see the PowerPoint presentations on the construction right now. Mm -hmm. um, but we like to make sure that they know what's going on and over communicate because as you stated, uh, we don't, if we don't tell a story, someone else is going to tell it for us. And we want to make sure that we're telling the right story and a positive story that's out there and all the great things that, that a district in general does as far as facilities and maintenance and operations. And so, you know, we always love the positive story, um, but sometimes just with construction, there are things that, that go wrong, like maybe needing to fire your contractor or reevaluate a situation. Um, how do you go about that in terms of transparency, in terms of budget, all of those things? Um, what does that look like for your district? What's your approach a great question so one of the things that we follow is the public contract code in california and for school districts when we go out to bid for a project uh, the lowest responsive responsible bidder is uh, generally who's qualified to do the project so in, in that case we can't determine who the ultimate contractor uh, will be it just depends on who qualifies under the bidding process so you never know who you're going to get until the, the bids are opened up and then uh, you work with that contractor. But as you stated, there are times, in, and I've seen it in many districts, where uh, contractors aren't doing what they should be doing. They're not meeting the timelines. Uh, there's a schedule of, of uh, a timeline of events that need to happen in order for a project to be done. And so sometimes, yes, we have to uh, take a hard look at where we're at, if the contractor is able to finish that project, and if not, uh, what are the steps that we need to do? So uh, districts have to work with their legal counsel to uh, let the contractor know you're not meeting your obligations. And then generally what we've had to do is sometimes bring in an additional contractor to come in and finish the work uh, to get it done on time. Because for instance, if it's time sensitive, depending upon school opens up in August. And those kids need to go somewhere. <laughs> they need to go somewhere. And if the project's not done, we have nowhere to put them. So we have to bring in someone else to come and finish the job, but then still hold accountable to a contractor that was not able to meet their obligations. Mm -hmm. um, and when it comes to, to budget issues, when, when those things happen, I mean, I, miss, I can only assume you're, they're working Saturdays now to try to catch up on that timeline. And, and those are some of the unforeseen things that that pop up that you have contingencies for and yes and so <laughs> constantly weekly if not daily there are updates with the contractor on how they're doing uh, what assistance the district can provide to them and then what assistance that they're needing uh, they may request additional time such as weekend work which uh, depending on, and, and that's that's kind of tricky because depending on the city you're in there's ordinances mm -hmm. where they can only work certain hours of a day and certain days of the week and so we have to make sure that we're aware as a district what those are so that we don't want to upset the community as well because right. somebody sleeping in on a saturday morning <laughs> doesn't want to hear a jackhammer next doesn't really care tonight. if the, the kindergartner has his desk on oh, no, <laughs> next month no. <laughs> Oh, perfect. And so, you know, before we wrap up, I guess, 
when you've been doing this for a while and you've seen, I'm sure, all sorts of lessons learned that you would kind of take away from this, the good, the bad, the ugly, what does success look like to you? Um, what's your ideal scenario when it comes to going into a, into a project? I think that the communication is key in the beginning with all stakeholders, but also bringing in the contractors, the vendors, the architects, the subcontractors, people that are going to be working the project and emphasize to them, yes, it is a construction contract, uh, but at the end of the day, it's for the students. And I mm -hmm. think if we emphasize that, then they have a, a stake. Because I, I, I like to relate that think about your own children in their school if you were working on their school and so that kind of gives them that perspective of getting it done and getting it done on time and and that's what i think for us the end game is to get projects done on time but collaborative effort not just the district being the heavy hammer to say hey we have to have it done now but working with all of this all of the partners there uh, to ensure that the projects open up and then celebrating that at the very end so so having grand openings and inviting everybody not just the um, not just the community, but the people that were involved in the construction process. And I think that makes them feel better knowing that they really contributed and seeing the students smile at the end of the day. Yeah, to, to, see me, that's, the end, end to see the end project and the students are very happy with the end project. That's 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 very good for us. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Um, I can't thank you enough for stepping away and skipping lunch. We got a little bit of quiet actually here um, at, the, at the conference since everyone is having their their break time, um, but I always wanted to thank you. And if you had any closing comments or about any school district that may be jumping into this for the, the first time, just to buckle up and get ready. <laughs> no, I appreciate the opportunity to, to have this discussion and I look forward to uh, you know engaging in these discussions in the future. And, and I think school districts are, uh, there's a lot of challenges for them, but I think if they approach in a positive way, then uh, they will be successful in their project. Awesome. Well, thank you, Michael. We'll talk soon. All right, thank you. If you enjoyed this episode of Construction Insiders, we encourage you to check out our website at www.ccorpusa.com. That's C-C-O-R-P-U-S-A.com, where you can find our full knowledge library under the Insights tab. It's all great stuff. We're really passionate about it, and we hope you'll check it out. Thanks for listening.